It's the next level. Fuck you, Baltimore! If you're dumb enough to buy a new car this weekend, you're a big enough schmuck to come to Big Bill Hell's car. Bad deals. Cars that break down. Thieves. If you think you're going to find a bargain at Big Bill, you can kiss my ass. It's our belief that you're such a stupid motherfucker. You'll fall for this bullshit. Guaranteed. If you find a better deal, shove it up your ugly ass. You heard us right. Shove it up your ugly ass. Bring your trade. Bring your title. Bring your wife. We'll fuck her. That's right, we'll fuck your wife. Because at Big Bill Hell, you're fucked six ways from Sunday. Take a hike to Big Bill Hell. Home of Challenge pissing. That's right. Challenge pissing. How does it work? If you can piss six feet in the air straight up and not get wet, you get no down payment. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't fuck with us or we'll rip your nuts off. Only at Big Bill Hell. The only dealer that tells you to fuck off. Hurry up, asshole. This event ends the minute after you write us a check. And it better not bounce or you're a dead motherfucker. Go to hell. Big Bill Hell's car. Baltimore's filthiest. And exclusive home of the meanest sons of bitches in the state of Maryland. Guaranteed. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. following movie contains material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised. You know, George Romero once said, My zombies will never take over the world because I need the humans. The humans are the ones I dislike the most, and they're where the trouble really lies. Well, sir, rest in peace. Be glad you're not seeing the shit show this world is today. I really have nothing else. On that note, from the Next Level Network of Podcasts and the reek of basement piss known as Studio Zero, the dead are among us. They will rise to suck the blood of the living. And if you love Dawn of the Dead, you will... Who am I kidding? I'm not here to be loved. Returning this week, starring your host, Postmortem Paul. Welcome back, everyone, to What What Lurks Lurks Behind Behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. And this week, well, the show's returning. Yay! Uh, And we're returning with a review of a classic Italian horror flick. It's a personal favorite of mine. There's going to be a lot of love this episode. Not a whole lot of hate. Um, But yeah, it's a personal favorite of mine uh, with some... um, eye-gouging, razor-shark... Uh, I mean, sharp, practical effects. Alright, well, I kind of fucked that up, so... From 1979, director Lucio Fulci's classic masterpiece, Zombie. Zombie. Also known as a lot of other names. Uh, that'll be discussed later. But yeah, 
I, I realize I have not done a Fulci, fl- a Fulci flick yet. It's kind of like shameful, really. Because this is episode 78. That means there's been 77 other episodes I've done and I never did a Fulci film yet. Well, I'm correcting that now. But first, oh shit, here we go. So, <laughs> I say there's a lot of love this episode, and I start with this. Veronica. Okay. <sighs> Let me preface this, okay? You guys know sometimes a movie comes along I don't like. Blair Witch Project was one that, I mean, the marketing was amazing, and the flick just piss me off so okay it happens and there's times that you know this happens for every moviegoer you know you see a movie you don't like it i try not to be that guy that's like you know all elitist and oh hey this movie sucks and if you like it you're an asshole no i'm not i'm not that kind of guy and i get that glenn danzig was trying something different he was doing something original while being somewhat of an homage and whatnot okay fine i I get it i understand that veronica is based off of his comic book lion like comic book series and stuff yeah no um i don't normally tell people don't watch a movie i always allow people to make their own opinions you know what i mean like even for myself like and I've said it on this podcast before, sometimes I don't understand the whole, there's this movie out there, what's your opinion? Like, I don't care what other people's opinions are until after I've watched the flick, and usually I disagree with most people, depending on the movie. But, I mean, just recently I was reading reviews on the movie Arrival, that one with Amy Adams, and I still don't get what everybody sees in this flick, but that's me. You know what I mean? It's my own personal opinion. Veronica, on the other hand, like, the thing was, was I, I went on Shudder, because Shudder is offering it right now, it's available to stream on Shudder, and I see all these one-star comments, you know, like, everybody's like, oh, this movie is shit, this movie reeks of piss, blah, 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 and I'm like, that sounds like a challenge. And then I started to watch this thing. I can honestly say I finished it. Yeesh. <laughs> like, yeesh. Um... I mean, and I watched it sober, which probably made it even worse. And I watched it by myself, which made it probably even worse. Because I didn't even have that person there, like, to crack jokes with. You know what I mean? Like, ah. I I, I don't want to take away from Glenn Danzig. He tried something. He put it out there. He created something. He's doing more than I am. So, I mean, I, I, I can't knock him for it, but yeesh. And I think that, like... Everyone calls the movie Veronica. I call it yeesh. Uh, avoid at all costs. Um, and I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, I love bad movies. You guys know that. I, I talk about it every week, like, or every episode. I, I, I love bad movies. But they're the type of bad movies that are awesome because they're bad. This is not that kind of movie. The dialogue is horrible. The actresses are like failed porn actresses. And I mean, like... You have to be bad when you're a failed porn actress. And again, that's not me knocking people. That's me saying, like, this is what I got from this movie. I mean, I'm not sure these actresses are failed porn actresses, but it just, it seemed like the direction was all wrong. And 
I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe this is exactly what Glenn wanted to put out there. I don't know. Um, I, I. Yeah. I watch the bad movies so you don't have to. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It, Veronica for me is just bad. And maybe that's a good thing for some people. I don't know. I, I don't want to make your mind up by saying this, but this is probably one of the few films I will honestly say I do not recommend watching this. But that's me. And, and on top of that, I mean, there are so many other great things on Shudder. I, I'm going to promote this right now. Watch Holliston. Okay? I remember Holliston back from, like, what, 2012? No, 2013, I think, is when it was out. I don't know. I remember catching a few episodes. I hadn't seen the whole thing. And I just remember how much I loved it. And then I saw Shudder put the full series up there, and I was like, oh, yeah. And I also forgot why I was so upset about Holliston is because, like, season two ends on a cliffhanger. And we never got any more. And I'm watching it again this time, and I'm like, oh, shit. But I know that Adam Green is, like, currently on social media right now trying to promote for Shudder to, you know, extend the series. Like, they're doing with Last Drive-In, right? They brought the Last Drive-In back. So I guess Adam Green's figuring, you know, hey, they took on Holliston. Maybe we continue the series. I would love to see that happen. So I, I could be one of those people that promotes it and says, watch it. You will love it. Um, it's like a horror comedy sitcom. Well, sitcom is like comedy, but you get what I'm saying. Like, it's the best way for me to explain it. I, I was kind of thinking about it. It's like Friends with a horror twist, which if only Friends had been that, I probably would have liked Friends. But anyways, side note quickly, just saying this. Bears are 3-0. and Chicago Bears, 3-0. and Uh-huh. All right. Just putting that out there. Nick Foles is the new starter. I know you come to this podcast and you're like, he's not going to talk sports. Of course I was going to. The Tigers are done, but the Bears are going on. And they're 3-0. and Who the fuck? Even I didn't see this coming. Anyways. Whew. Moving on. As some of you have found out, uh, probably more people that are closer to me than you know those who aren't. Uh, yeah, I'm one step closer to that eternal sleep known as death, I guess you would say. Which is really kind of cool in a way, because this is the first episode I am recording in God knows how long that I can actually read my notes. And you're like, I don't understand what happened. Well, old age is kicking in and reading glasses. Yeah, that happened. It happened, yeah. But it's awesome because I can actually see my notes this week. It's like, oh, and there's like no typos because like when I did my notes, it was like I could actually see what I was doing. It's kind of cool. Some of I, I never realized, it, I tell you, like you don't realize how bad your eyesight is until all of a sudden it's like you, it's, it's like a whole new world opens up in front of your eyes. My phone, like I have like a, just a, I guess, what, what do they call them, like, entry-level phones? Because you know me, I, I don't give a shit about tech and social media and all that shit. <laughs> but I never realized, like, my phone actually has a very crisp and clean-looking screen. So, uh, like, I'm trying on different glasses, and I look at my phone screen, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, it, like, looks beautiful. I was like, <laughs> I never knew that. My new 4K TV. I thought it looked good. Don't get me wrong. I was like, oh, wow, 4K, nice. I'm finally moving up in the world. And then I put the glasses on, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wow, 
I guess it is. I guess it is a beautiful looking TV. <laughs> like what the fuck? Um, so yeah, that happened. For the gamers out there, Doom Eternal. Uh, it's coming to Xbox Game Pass on October first. I mentioned this because October first is a special day. It's the day that your shit host me. I guess I celebrate something that day. So does Night of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But yeah, that's my my day of birth. The day I was shat into this world. But yeah, that happens. October 1st. But October 1st is more important because it's the anniversary of Night of the Living Dead and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Two of the greatest movies of all time. So... Oh yeah, there's this I wanted to talk about too. There's been a couple weeks in between episodes, so I have like different notes I wrote down I wanted to talk about. Um, and the best way to start this off, I actually I wrote this on social media. You know, to quote Bill Mosley in House of a Thousand Corpses. Boy, I bet you'd stick your head in a fire if I told you you could see hell, because Netflix did not, N-O-T, not cancel The Dark Crystal. I know everybody is sharing these articles and these these media posts about Netflix announcing their cancellation of the Dark Crystal series. No, they did not. It was never actually meant to go past one season. For those of you who may not know, I will give you the backstory on this. So when Netflix did their 10-episode series for the Dark Crystal, the Age of Resistance... The original idea was never even meant to be a series. It was meant to be a two-hour prequel movie. They came up with the idea around the 30th anniversary of The Dark Crystal. So it was around 2012. They came up with this idea they were going to do a sequel. Actually, it was supposed to be a sequel. It wasn't even supposed to be a prequel. It was supposed to be a sequel. And then, you know, the idea got tossed around a couple years and development hell and whatnot. And then Netflix says, hey, let's pick this up. And we're going to make this a thing. And they made the prequel and we got Age of Resistance. Now, we as fans, first off, we already got more than we were even supposed to get. We were only supposed to get a two-hour movie out of this. And we got ten episodes. So basically about almost ten hours worth of Dark Crystal. On top of that, a second season was never greenlit. It was never mentioned. The producers themselves had said they had stories that they could further their, further this with but it was never announced we were getting a second season this was supposed to be a standalone series like a standalone season then what was it about a week ago or so i'm you know i'm like oh let's see what's going on in the world of social media where everybody doesn't know anything and it's like i'm seeing netflix cancels dark crystal and all these people are crying you're killing my childhood and all this and i'm like what the fuck what people google use it search things up like i don't know fuck it was not canceled Okay, let's put that out there now. I know that cancel is like the big favorite word of 2020. Everybody's like, this is being canceled and that is being canceled. By the way, Halloween is not canceled. Okay, I see that coming up a lot too. All these people are like, fight your government. They will not cancel Halloween. Halloween's not canceled anyways. None of these holidays have been canceled. So we've had to readapt or change or whatever, but they aren't canceled. Halloween is not canceled, okay? I, I'm tired of hearing this shit. 
Speaking of Halloween. So, this is probably the last thing I'm going to talk about. Because, you know, and I don't want it to seem like I'm in a bad mood or I'm ranting or anything. It was just like the whole cancellation thing. I'm like, it wasn't fucking canceled. Anyways, um, so, uh, way back. I don't know if you guys remember. I think it was like episode five of this podcast. I did an episode that was called a double chiller thriller. That's going way back, like way back at the beginning of the of the show. And anyways, one of the movies that I reviewed on that was 1031, which is an ind- independent anthological film. I'm a big fan of that movie. I, I really enjoyed that one. I mean, with, the first one was five stories. Four out of the five were awesome. And the, the fifth one, it's not that it was bad. It just eh, it was there. But I mean, I still, I, I love that movie. I'm a huge fan of that that original flick. Well, I got my hand on the sequel now. I got, I, I, I got 1031 Part 2. And I was like, all right, I'm hoping for more of the same. I'm hyped up. But in my mind, because I <laughs> this is not my first rodeo, I knew it was a sequel. I'm like, as with all sequels, with the exception of a few, obviously, um... I know that this probably won't live up to the standard set by the premiere release. Well, that's exactly what happened. I mean, obviously, yes, both films have bad acting. That's intentional. That part, you, you got to kind of like ignore that part of it. That element is inevitable. It's going to happen. The thing is, is the difference between the two is that the first film, even though it had its, its comedic value to it, it had better stories, I felt. Uh, this one, it's not that... You know, part two is not a bad movie, but it feels like it's trying too hard to replicate the first film instead of being itself. What what it, now? There are some cool differences. For example, this one is it still has five stories, but the movie itself starts off with like four faux trailers or fake trailers, fake news. No, um, but it's they're like trailers that are for movies that don't exist, kind of like um. Uh, what am I thinking there? The the grindhouse flicks like Planet Terror and whatnot, how they had those like fake trailers in between them and whatnot, which would be kind of cool if like one of the if these trailers, they're low budget, obviously. I mean, they're just put together to like make the movie kind of fun and whatnot. But it would be kind of cool to see like, oh, what was the one? There's one with like the kids and shit like that, and I can't remember what it was called now. But um, it looked like pretty cool that like it, they could actually make this into a movie. So I almost kind of wonder. Maybe, you know, taking those trailers, expanding on them. Um, as for the stories in 1031 Part 2, uh, I'd say three of the five were were decent. They were good. Um, the the Samhain Liturgy, uh, Overkill, and Sister Mary were probably the, the ones that were really intriguing and quite original, I might add, too. Um Cool, low-budget effects, whatnot. Deadlift? Deadlift was different. Deadlift is, I believe, the second story in the anthology. That was different. And somewhat interesting, but it was very different. Um, And it kind of felt like it didn't fit. But that was okay, because then it stood out at the same time. So it was all right. Um, And then there's the Apache Hatchet Massacre 2. Which I'm not sure we ever got the Apache Hatchet Massacre 1, um, but it was okay. It was alright. Anyways, all in all, I gotta sum this up because I'm just rambling. All in all, the sequel, 
you know, to the original 1031. It's not a bad movie. Uh, I bought it on DVD. I'd say, you know, it, it's it's worth giving a watch uh, for sure. It's not the first film, no. The first one is way better, in my opinion. Because, um, I don't know, at times this one, it just felt like it was dragging on at times. But not horrible. Uh, well, let's be fair. I mean, shave off about 10 minutes of the movie and it probably would have been a lot better because I think it runs at like almost like an hour and 46 minutes or something like that. Granted it's five stories, but if those, if those stories were a bit tighter, I think it would have worked. Um, on a, on a plus note though, one of the definite great things about it, Rocky Gray, former drummer of Evanescence, you know, does a lot of music scores and whatnot. Well, his score for this I wouldn't say he's at John Carpenter status yet because that's that's something that's just way too high to catch right now. But Rocky Gray is doing pretty good with some horror movie scores. I he's he's solid, man. He he does some good shit, and it definitely stands out in this film. Um, right up there with his score for The Barn from 2016, which you guys know I love that movie. I, if I have to give a rating to 10:31 Part Two, I say five and a half out of ten. It's it's about that. But now, I've just spent, uh, what, about 20 minutes just rambling on about a whole bunch of shit. And it's time to move on. Time to move on to this week's movie review. Movie review of the week. And it's a good one. And like I said, lots of love for this movie. Um, This is a movie, I'm going to tell you something. um, Kind of promoting another podcast that's not part of the Next Level Network. But I want to put this out there because I think it's kind of cool. And it's something... I think a lot of you would like to listen to. Today you're going to hear my views and and my my spiel on this movie, but the Say You Love Satan 80s horror podcast was one of the inspirations for this show. Way back. God, I think it was like... You'd have to look it up, but I think it's like episode 60, I think. They did their review of this movie. This movie... uh, Zombie from 1979. The cool thing about that was it was my request of their show to do that that episode. Uh, it was a Patreon-supported episode that it was my pick. So <laughs> the thing is, is that this, this is kind of like my time, my turn to now talk about this movie because I had someone else do it for me. Now it's my turn. I'm not saying I'm going to live up to their standard. That is a that is a podcast that is way ahead of what I'm doing. But they're they're on all levels of awesome, and I'm still trying to learn my way through this shit. But yeah, I, I thought I would mention that that you know this this is a movie that once I requested another podcast to do a review of, and now I am doing my own review of it. So we're going to do the trailer timeout as we always do, and when we come back, shared podcast. Experience, Lucio Falci, Falci Lives, and Zombie from 1979, back in a splat, kids. Ahoy there! This is the Harbor Patrol. Anyone on board? Yes, it looks abandoned. One more step and I'm going to blast you. Now freeze where you are! Yes, it's my father's boat. And uh, how long since you last spoke to him? 
Well, we have to go to Matul. We're trying to locate Anne's father. She hasn't heard from him for some time. That's not a cool place to hit. I'm going to tell everyone that you're the one who's crazy. Demented, cruel, evil... What exactly did my father die of, Dr. Minot? And the boat's crew, what happened to them? What is about the dead coming back to life again and having to be killed a second time? Islands, fantastic legends, voodooism, zombies. Voodoo's just superstitious horseshoe. Now, whatever it is, it makes the dead stand up and walk. I've seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> When the earth spit out the dead, they will come back to suck the blood from the living. Ah! I'm so scared we're not going to make it off this island. They're coming back to life. They're everywhere. Stand up and walk. All right. Back. Should have came back with like a little like musical number, like some like zombie ritual by death or something like that. Get in the mood, right? But whatever. This movie's awesome. Should just give you my rating and call it a day. But I'm not going to do that. So there's a lot to talk about this movie. A lot of cool trivia and shit and. And I mean, like, there's, there's like funny, funny stories that go with this movie. So, episode 78, movie review of the week, shared podcast experience. You rub mine, I'll rub yours. No, I don't even know where that came from. But anyways, this is an Italian flick. So with Italian flicks comes Italian style dubbing. The dubbing is kind of fun in this movie. So this movie, movie of a million titles, directed by Lucio Fulci. Zombie, zombie, zombie two, zombie flesh eaters. There's like a whole slew of fucking names for this movie. I think those are the three that most people know it by, though. Uh, it was released August twenty fifth, nineteen seventy nine, in Italy. And almost a year later in North America, July 18th, 1980. So when it was released in North America with the awesome dubbing. It's got so many names. I mean, like the whole Zombie 2 thing. So, I mean, and I'm going to, I'll talk about this further in detail when we get further in the review and whatnot. But, I mean, most fans know this was supposed to be a sequel to George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. This is the sequel to Dawn of the Dead. What are you talking about, man? No, that's just what the studio wanted to market at that. Um, or like the promoters or whatever. There's there's a whole story behind it. I'll get 
to that in a bit, but just putting this out there, Fulci himself, there was one thing he was very happy about was the fact that in North America, at least they just called the movie Zombie. Um, he never wanted it to be called Zombie 2. But uh, because for those of you who may not know, in Italy, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead was known as Zombie. And it was spelt like zombie, but without the E at the end. So it was Z-O-M-B-I. Or as Americans would say, Z. It's Z-O-M-B-I. I don't know what this Z thing is. It's Z. No, just the rest of the world calls it Z, but you guys don't. America's the greatest country. I gotta stop. We're not talking about America this week. We're talking about Italy. So, as I said, directed by Lucio Fulci. Fulci is a horror genius. Some think, anyways. Not everybody. There are people that don't like his style of movies, but... Uh, I don't know. The New York Ripper gets ripped on a lot. I know I had to say it that way, but yeah. There's some people that really don't like that movie. I don't know where I stand on that one. There's parts of it I really like. There's parts of it I can do without. I don't know. It's all right. Fulci's done other movies, though. He's done movies like Don't Torture a Duckling, City of the Living Dead, The Black Cat, The Beyond. The Beyond is amazing. I love that one. Uh, House by the Cemetery. As I said, New York Ripper, Manhattan Baby, Zombie 3, and A Cat in the Brain, to name. In my opinion, I think that's probably his best flicks all right there. He's done a lot, but there was a lot of... Okay, I shouldn't say it's like that's his best. In my opinion, they are. But there's also the fact that a lot of the movies have Italian titles that I was not attempting. I'm already horrible when it comes to talking any other dialect other than crappy English. So it's like, yeah, we'll avoid all that. So... Which also, like, some of these names are very Italian names. I'm going to do my best to pronounce them properly, but I'm not I'm not promising the world here. Uh, the writer for Zombie was written by Elisa Briganti. And she has worked with uh, Fulci on several flicks. Uh, some of them being The House by the Cemetery, Manhattan Baby. Um, she also did other movies, uh, 1990, The Bronx Warriors. And A Blade in the Dark. Those are just like a few of them that I picked out with the crowd. She's done a lot of writing. The producers for this flick. Ugo Tucci or Hugo Tucci. I'm not sure how he pronounces it. I think it's Hugo Tucci. And then there's Fabrizio D'Angelis. D'Angelis. Yeah, I told you I'd do my best. Not promising shit here. Cinematography by Sergio Salvati. I love Italian names, man. Like that's one thing. Like I like different countries. Some things you can rip on them. Some things you you really love about them. Italy. I love their language. I wish I actually could speak it better because it's it's a very elegant language. I love that Sergio Salvati. It's like it's like powerful and at the same time like almost very elegant. I like that. Anyways, he's uh, worked on other films such as City of the Living Dead, The Black Cat, The Beyond, The House by the Cemetery, 1990, The Bronx Warriors, Ghoulies 2, and Puppet Master. 
just a handful of them. The music. Most people know that the music was done by Fabio Frizi. But it, there's also elements to the soundtrack score done by Giorgio Tucci. Um, but Tucci doesn't really get much credit for this, especially for the fact that the soundtrack that was released, all the music on it is by Frizi. Uh, Fabio Frizi has 95 music credits to his name. Um, like in terms of like score. Uh, including Dracula in the provinces, Go Gorilla Go, the psychic Godzilla, the Euro trash version, City of the Living Dead, the Beyond, Manhattan Baby, Pieces, gotta love Pieces, A Cat in the Brain, House of Forbidden Secrets, and Puppet Master, the Littlest Reich. His name is also attached to Kill Bill Volume 1, but not for something he actually... um, performed on but something uh, a musical piece he more or less wrote moving on to our starring cast and the starring cast i like this movie because there's not a lot of cast so it's easy to get through um so basically we have our female lead who is tisa farrow her name in the flick is ann bowles if you're talking the American version or the North American version, in the Italian version, the name is Anne Bolt. So that's kind of cool. Uh, both her and the character of Brian have different last names, depending on which version you're talking about. Since I'll be reviewing the North American version, uh, her name is Anne Bowles. And she only acted in about 15 different films. And then she called it quits. She was like, I'm done. I'm not acting anymore because I'm going in to be a full-time nurse. And apparently she's really successful at that. So kudos to her. Good for her. That's awesome. She's really, she's actually good in this movie. I would have liked to have seen her go on further in acting. But you know what? Hey, she's doing some good shit out there. So we're not going to knock her for it. Ian McCulloch is our male lead. He plays the the reporter, the investigative journalist, uh, Peter West. And he was also in movies like The Ghoul. Uh, Ian McCulloch was also in movies like Zombie Holocaust, uh, Contamination, which is also known as Alien Contamination, uh, and he was in, I think it was three episodes of Doctor Who back in 1984. So that's kind of cool. Uh, Richard Johnson as Dr. Menard, or as he says in the movie, Dr. Maynard. I remember the first time I ever saw this movie, I thought like when I'd see like his name spelled out, I expected like M-A-Y-N-A-R-D. And then it was like Dr. Menard. I'm like, why does he keep saying Maynard then? But anyways. Uh, 140 acting credits to this gentleman, which include the 1963 movie The Haunting, uh, the movie The Witch, not the more recent one, but the one from 1966. He was also in the movie Beyond the Door. He was in Screamers. He was in a segment of The Monster Club. Uh, And he was in the episode Ear Today, Gone Tomorrow from Tales from the Crypt. And he was in Laura Croft Tomb Raider, which 
if you're familiar with more recent flicks, that's might that might be where you recognize him from. Uh, moving on to Al Cliver. Al Cliver plays Brian Hull, or in the Italian version, his name his name is Brian Kurt, but in the version I'm reviewing, his name is Brian Hull. He was also in Fulci's flicks The Black Cat and The Beyond. Um, I know he did some acting. Uh, he was uh, He's an Italian actor, so it's not that I want to discredit him from all the work he's done, but I can't pronounce those movie titles, so it's not happening. And... Moving on to his his girlfriend or wife, uh, I believe it's his girlfriend or partner. Anyways, uh, is played by Oretta Gay, um, and her name in the movie is Susan Barrett, and she had I think like five acting credits, none of which were really big. So I, this is pretty much her biggest role right here. Um, and everyone knows her as the scuba diver who wears nothing but a G-string. <laughs> Stefania DeMario? I think I said that right, too. Uh, she plays Nurse Clara, who's basically Dr. Maynard's assistant. Uh, she was also in movies like The Sister of Ursula and Nightmare City. Olga Carlados. Oh. So... The movie I wrote down that she was also in was Purple Rain. She's done other work. I didn't want to say she didn't. Again, Italian actress, did a lot of Italian flicks. I can't pronounce, so not writing them down. But here's the thing. Remember that name. Olga Carlados. Because there is a scene in this fucking movie that, yes! That's all I'm going to say for now. Most of you have seen this movie, so you already know what I'm talking about. But um, other casts that cast members that had like small roles or roles that were kind of like prominent, but no dialogue. Uh, Ramon Bravo as the underwater zombie. More on that later. Okay, I'm gonna try to pronounce this guy's name right. Out of Out of Viano Delacqua. He plays the worm-eyed zombie. The worm-eyed zombie. The the zombie from the the VHS cover, the poster, the movie poster. That that zombie face with the worms coming out of the eye. That's him. And didn't do a whole lot of acting. I think he did a lot of stunt work actually. But this, I brought him up because he's that iconic zombie we all know from the poster artwork, the VHS, the DVD, the Blu-ray. You you wherever you've seen it. T-shirts, anywhere. He's he's that zombie. Uh, Lucio Falci himself has a role in this movie as uh, Peter West's news editor. And then we have the, what they, <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun of obese people here, okay? His credit is Fat Boat Zombie, okay? Uh, played by Captain Haggerty. Of the New York Police Department, actually. So it's kind of cool. Um, synopsis for this film is as follows. A zombie is found aboard a boat off the New York coast, which belongs to a famous scientist. I don't know that he was actually famous. I mean, he's the scientist of the flick, but all right. Anyways, 
Peter West, a journalist, travels to the Antilles with Anne, the daughter of the scientist. And on the way, they meet with Brian, an ethnologist, and Susan. Susan's like his partner. When they arrive at Matul Island, they find Dr. Maynard and discover a terrifying disease which is turning the islanders into horrifying zombies which devour human flesh and seem indestructible. They mention the disease part. There's more. I'm going to talk a little bit further in my review about this, but one thing that I also really enjoyed about this film was the fact that we've gone back to sort of the voodoo roots of zombies. I'll explain more on that later. The runtime for the flick is 91 minutes long. If it's the uncut version, there were cuts to this movie galore. But the uncut version is 91 minutes, which is pretty much the standard version we get now. Um, Movie was rated R for horror, violence, gore, and nudity. Currently available on Shutter Canada for streaming. I think it's also Stutter, Stutter, Shutter in the U.S., but I'm not 100% positive on that. And I know at one point it was available on Tubi in the States. I don't know if it still is. As well as, obviously, it's had VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray releases. Um, The Blu-ray that I have is the Blue Underground release from 2018, I think it was. 2019. Uh, But I only have the single disc version. I love watching extras for movies, don't get me wrong. But sometimes... If I know I'm only going to watch the extras once and I'll never watch them again, I'll usually buy the more standard version of Blu-rays just because. Um, So, yeah, I have the single disc version, even though there's a double disc version. And then there's also a triple disc version, I believe, that was also released. Plus, I have it on DVD and just recently found a nice chap online who had the VHS that I... I've been wanting to... I used to have the Anchor Bay widescreen edition. And years ago, it disappeared. Sadly. Really bothered me that I never knew where it went. And not... I I don't want to accuse people, but I'm pretty sure it got stolen. Um, Because that was one of my favorite movies. So it it wasn't one that I would have misplaced. And sadly, it's gone so it is what it is um it happens but i was able to finally find a a version of it on vhs again that wasn't a hundred thousand bazillion fucking dollars because (laughs) such is the vhs market we know a movie that's rare everybody wants it oh let's you know charge a testicle for it so anyways moving on to the review now the diary notes from matul That's what I'm calling this segment. And there's a lot of trivia, a lot of um, cool things about this movie. So you heard me mention before that this movie has a lot of different titles. Yes. One of them being Zombie 2. Now, despite being called Zombie 2, this film is not a sequel to anything. It's actually an original idea. Well, somewhat original, obviously, because... You know, zombies have been done by this point. But, I mean, the thing is, is that when Dawn of the Dead was released, uh, like I said, in Italy, it was released as the movie Zombie. 
this movie was released as Zombie 2 to cash in on the success of that film because Dawn of the Dead or Zombie was very successful. It's, it's, it's a classic. The studio changed the name of this movie without Fulci's consent, without his permission, his knowledge, or anything. He had no clue this was even fucking happening. At least that's what he's told fans. And, like I said, he was relieved to find out that the the title, Zombie, was kept in the American release. Now, the thing was, was the reason why he pushed so hard that this was not a sequel was this film was written before Dawn of the Dead actually came out in the theaters. He was unaware, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure he was aware George Romero was making a sequel. He didn't intend this to be a spinoff of that sequel. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, Dawn of the Dead deals more with the whole idea of the zombie as being like a virus thing where with zombie, there's a lot of that voodoo tie-in that I mentioned. Um, However, when this movie did come out and the studio decided, okay, we're going to cash in on this fucking thing and whatnot. Uh, The scenes in New York city that are at the very beginning and the very end of the film, those were tacked on after, um, they were like, they were added to the script later. Um, but like I said, like the script for this was actually made before Dawn of the Dead even came out. Um, so there was a second scriptwriter for this film, Dardano Sajetti. However, he uh, he had his name taken off of this, and I believe I wrote why. Yes, he had his name taken off the credits because during the pre-production of this film, his father passed away. It was very sad. He felt uncomfortable about being connected to the movie, especially for the fact that, you know, it's a movie talking about the dead coming back to life and his father had just passed away. So he took his name off the credits. But when he wrote this movie, he wrote it to be more of um, a spinoff of movies like I Walked With a Zombie or Voodoo Island. He wanted that voodoo roots brought back. He wanted the whole idea of the of the, the Caribbean and the voodoo roots. If you want a perfect example of voodoo being tied in with zombieism, White Zombie, uh, 1932, Bella Lugosi flick. Bella Lugosi uses voodoo to turn his his minions or his slaves into zombies. And that was something that up until Romero did Night of the Living Dead, that's how zombies were approached. It was it was considered like a mind control or voodoo or, you know, like some sort of black magic. It was never seen as a virus or chemical or, you know, it was nothing like that. That was, that was something that Romero brought to the forefront. Um, so when when Dardano was doing his his part of the script, he wanted to go back to that that voodoo roots. Um, but then his name was taken off of the credits due to the fact that his father passed away. So I mentioned about the, the fact that this movie has a 91-minute runtime. However, this movie was not liked by 
film committees and critics and, and yeah, it, um, I mean, it was part of the video nasties in Britain. Uh, it's been banned it, or was banned at one point in several countries. Um, when it was first submitted to, where did I write this down? Where it was, when it was first submitted to the BBFC, which is like the British board of film committee or something like that. Anyways, um, they were going to give it an X rating, an X rating, but a minute and 46 seconds of the movie had to be cut. So basically like dropping it down to almost like 89 minutes. Um, and then, uh, they, what was it in 1992, they re-rated it, giving it an 18 plus rating. Uh, but they required 23 seconds of cuts. So now it's basically a 90 minute movie or 90, 91 minute movie, but like really like, you know, it, it's, they're not the only country to do that for. That's the only thing I could find when I was doing my research, but I know that like, I think it was Australia had the movie cut quite a bit. Um, to my knowledge, Canada and the United States pretty much got it at its full 91, 90 minute or 91 minute runtime. I think, I don't think the U S had many cuts to the film. Germany, I think had cuts to the film. Um, so like I said, like the, the movie itself, if you consider it uncut in its full, you know, directorial vision, so to speak, it's 91 minutes, but yeah, especially, especially the Brits, they did not like this movie. Um, in terms of the dubbing. So like many Italian horror films out there, if you've watched Italian horror, you know that most of these movies, uh, Spanish films are the same thing. The vocals are done with dubbing. Um, and a lot of that is because the actors, when they're acting, they're speaking their own native tongue, which I don't know. That's got to be fucking hard. Like if you have like an English speaking actor talking to someone who's speaking like Italian, if you don't know what the other person is saying, that's got to be hard to act off each other. But I guess that's what they did. Um, half of the cast that were in this film, they spoke in English and the other half spoke in Italian. So, of course, there's the dubbing and the dubbing is. <sighs> The dubbing can be a bit distracting at first. Um, the story, at least for me, once you get pulled into the story, you kind of don't notice the bad dubbing as badly. Um, there's some of the dubbing that is like, it's just not synchronized at all. But, <laughs> but I mean, it's not horrible. But it's just, it's the fact that this was like most Italian horror flicks. And I mean, like you see it with like even movies like Demons and oh shit. Little Pieces is a perfect example. I think Sp Pieces is Spanish though. But um, you really do, you'll notice at times where like their mouths are moving. The words are coming out at a different time. Or they're, the words and the mouths don't even like match up at all and whatnot. And that's due to the fact of the way Italian horror flicks were done at that time. Um, one thing that is pretty cool though is no CGI. It's all practical effects. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's so practical that even the shark scene. It's a real shark. It's doped up. They fucking doped that thing up with uh, sedatives and whatnot. And um, 
the the actor Ramon Bravo, who is the underwater zombie, is actually a shark trainer. Um, so I mean, like they, I believe there was supposed to be an actor playing the role, and I don't know for whatever reason he was he he decided not to do the role, or he was he was injured or something. There was some reason I I remember reading why he was pulled out of the flick. But anyway, so the the shark trainer himself does the the um, shark versus zombie scene, which speaking of the shark and zombie scene, probably one of the most talked about scenes from this flick. Um, truly iconic, truly classic. <laughs> As a matter of fact, for me personally, whenever it's Shark Week, I have to watch this movie. Just simply because you have a zombie versus a shark, uh, <laughs> it's it's just it's funny because the movie really has nothing to do with sharks aside from that scene. And every week when every year when it's uh, when it's Shark Week, I'm like, oh, I gotta watch a zombie. Somewhat like pieces. Okay, so if you've seen pieces, you know some of the dialogue is horrible. I'm not going to repeat the bastard line, but <laughs> there's some dialogue in that movie that you're just like, oh my god. Well, that's the same with this flick. But it's not that bad. Sometimes they say stupid shit or whatever. Like there's the scene where the cops are interrogating Anne. uh, Because, you know, they find her father's boat. Her father's not on the boat. So they ask her, when did you last? No, first they ask her when she last heard from her father. She says, I don't know, been a couple months. Then they followed up with, well, when did you last speak with your father? Um, I don't know. It's been like a couple months. Isn't it basically the same thing? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I guess maybe they could say, well, you didn't speak to your father, but you heard from him in a letter. So that was more recent. I don't know. It just, when, to me, it's like, okay, like how, how many more times are you going to spin around this circle? I know there's the whole trick interrogation where they try to catch someone in a lie, but what the fuck would she have to gain from her father not being on the boat? Obviously, she's torn apart. Well, I say she's obviously torn apart about this. Um, her acting in the opening scenes, not that good. She gets better as the movie goes on. But yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And so the opening scenes. I said that, you know, the opening and the closing of this film, they take place in New York City. There's no fucking question to that whatsoever. You know damn well this movie starts off in New York City because... Enough shots of the World Trade Center, maybe, um, and the bridges of New York and the Statue of Liberty. Like, it's like they, they went around with, like, a, fella, a fucking helicopter circling around the boat. To show you the boat is swimming in the waters, you know, in the river with no one on it. But it's more, I think, to get a glimpse of the New York skyline and the World Trade Center. And I'm talking the Twin Towers, not the new World Trade Center that, you know post 2001 here no this is pre-2001 this is 1980 and it's like what it's funny because i see this now i've mentioned this before on this podcast that now when i see the world trade center in movies it's like very noticeable because i never paid attention before but now i do the thing is is that with this movie there should be like a trigger warning because I know that's a thing nowadays. We have to have trigger warnings for things. But for like people who lived through 9-11 or experienced it, lost loved ones, whatever, this is one of those movies where you should probably warn people. Um, yeah, the first 10 minutes are going to be 
in your face with the World Trade Center. <laughs> it's like, okay, I get it. The movie takes place in New York. You don't have to show me the Twin Towers over and over. And they do it again at the end of the movie. There's a scene where all the zombies are walking down. I think it's like the Brooklyn Bridge or the George Washington Bridge or whatever. And you, sure enough, you see the fucking Twin Towers like smack right in your face. Um, another thing that's in the face of this movie is the makeup. Makeup was caked on these fucking zombies. Um, as a matter of fact, what did I read? Lucio Fulci like, would call the extras walking flower pots because there was just so much makeup and dirt on them. However, though, I like that. The makeup is great. I mean, like, these zombies look like, like, the ones coming up from the ground, like, they look like they're coming up from the ground. Like, they've got fucking dirt and makeup and blood and gore just caked on them. I will say this, though, like, at one point, Brian talks about, like, the, the conquistador warriors of, like, 400 years ago. When those zombies start popping up out of the ground, like, I kind of think, like, they wouldn't like unless they're mummified like they wouldn't be like fully corporeal like they'd be more like skeleton like bone and ash or stuff but whatever it is what it is and the zombies still look fucking great um the acting is solid more or less um there's a couple scenes where it's like eh, whatever but nothing feels like hokey or out of place with this flick which some Italian flicks that was the problem was like the acting would come off as really bad and whatnot I mean yes the dubbing is a bit off but that's how Italian films were especially back in that day like in that time frame um but the acting is not like it's not horrible like there's nothing where I'm sitting there going okay like seriously like aside from like Anne in the beginning where she's supposed to be torn up about her father and she really doesn't, she seems kind of emotionless, but then again, that could be also a state of shock, right? So, I mean, it is what it is. It's not something that I've ever like really felt like I had to nitpick at, but, um, the score, however, by Fabio Frizi, well, that's a classic. That's absolutely classic. And I love like, like I have the soundtrack. It's like eight tracks or whatever, eight tracks long. And I love how like, Seven of the eight of the tracks are like sort of ominous, they're haunting, they're creepy, and then there's like this like fucking Caribbean Calypso track. It's like well, you guys heard it at the beginning of the episode, right? Like when I was doing my uh opening like monologue or whatever. That music playing in the background came from this, and that it's just it's so awesome, like it kind of iconic, even though it's like that theme itself doesn't really fit on the soundtrack, but it still works. The film's main title, though, so here's something, and I just recently learned this myself. I hadn't known this for years, but the the main title, the main theme music is actually a remix of a theme used when Freezy did the Godzilla, the Euro trash version soundtrack, like he did the score for that in 1977. I guess um, in Italy, they call it Cozilla instead of Godzilla. It's known as Cozilla. Anyways... Um, the theme for this was a remix of that, which in turn, that was a remix of the song Prayer for Peace, which was from the original Japanese Godzilla flick. So it's kind of funny how that all worked out. Um, the gore? Yeah, all right. So maybe the Brits were onto something when they were you know, saying there should be some cuts. There's some really cool gore in this flick. In 2020... 
yeah, it's not considered like, you know, I mean, it's still, it's, it's amazing. It looks awesome and it's all practical effects, which makes it look awesome. But what I'm saying is, is like in 2020, this wouldn't be a movie that would get banned uh, so easily. Uh, in 1980, different story, you know, jump, jump forward 40 years. We've got movies that are a lot worse out there, not being banned. So, um, this movie does have some great scenes though. Like there's some necks being ripped apart by zombie, like zombies biting into them, gouging into them and shit. Faces being eaten. There's a one scene where like, um, they, they, they find like a group of zombies that are all eating like, Maynard's wife, which I'll talk about her in just a moment. You have the shark versus the zombie battle, um, which is awesome. The the zombie the, the zombie gets his hand chewed off. The shark gets a chunk of it chewed off. Well, sort of um, special effects, obviously. And then there is Maynard's wife. Yeah. Speaking of some, like, gouging, because flesh being gouged, well, she gets something gouged. A very exquisite and delicious eye gouging. Oh my god. So this scene is fucking awesome. And her eye gets, like, popped out. I don't even know if it gets popped out. It just gets fucking gouged on a splinter of wood. And it's it looks awesome awesome really cool practical effects for that um it's funny i mentioned that i watched veronica like i mentioned earlier and that movie probably one of the scenes i did like in that flick is how it opens up because there's a nice double eye gouging at the beginning of that flick that part i liked i'll give glenn danzig credit for that he gets my applause there yay he gets my applause for that part but um but it doesn't add up to this. Like the, the fucking eye gouging scene in this movie is so fucking awesome. And the scream. Okay. So here's the thing. The scream that accompanies that scene with her getting her eye gouged. That's fucking unhuman, man. Like that, that scream does not sound like it's coming from a human. Here's the thing. Probably very lifelike. I couldn't imagine like dealing with eye trauma like that. Like I'm sitting here like whining at the beginning of this episode about "Ah, I'm going blind. I got to wear reading glasses. I couldn't imagine getting my eye like a splinter of fucking wood. And it's a pretty big splinter too. Like we're not talking like, you know, the little slivers you get in your fingers. We're talking like fucking a nice chunk of wood like through that eye and she's conscious for it. And it's like that scream don't sound human, but that's probably very lifelike. Um, classic scene favored heavily by the Gorehounds, including myself. Like it's one of my favorite scenes in that movie. I know I'm so sadistic, but whatever. Let's move on to the receptions of the film. I'm talking a lot here and I have to move forward. The receptions of this film, Rotten Tomatoes, approval rating, critic rating of 42%. I did say critics didn't like this movie that much. There's quite a few critics that do. But there's quite a few that didn't. Uh, however, it does have a weighted average rating of uh, about 5.26 out of 10. The consensus on Rotten Tomatoes reads Zombie 2. It should be Zombie, but whatever. Zombie 2. 
is an absurdly graphic zombie movie, legendary for some gory scenes and nothing in between. So in other words, critics seem to look at this film as being very gory, very nasty, but there's not much else to it. I don't know so much about that. I think, like I said, I like the fact that there's like the throwback to the whole voodoo idea. Um, a couple of the uh, comments I got, Ann Bilson uh, from Daily Telegraph, she wrote this in 2013. This wasn't in 1980. She wrote this in 2013 um, that she included it in her top 10 zombie films of all time. And she described its opening scenes as sublimely creepy and the eye gouging scene as memorably nasty. And that's, I like that. I like that someone calls that scene nasty because it is, it's, it's gruesome. It's cruel. It's just, and it's so much fun to watch. Uh, in Italy, there's an Italian newspaper called La Stampa and they described the film as pedestrian, uh, and they found it very hard to watch Olga Carlotto's characters, uh, her, her death scene. Um, again, the eye gouging, Dr. Maynard's wife, Olga Carlotto's. I said earlier when I was mentioning the cast, remember her name. Her scene is, along with the idea of the worm-eyed zombie and the shark versus the zombie scene, her scene is probably up there in the, uh, you know, in terms of the top three iconic moments from this film. Um, I don't know that I call this film pedestrian, but eh, whatever, shut up. TV Guide is pretty cruel. TV Guide gave this one out of five stars. Fuck you, TV Guide. No wonder nobody has you in their house anymore. But anyways, Fulci's work has its champions, but his films are mostly dim-witted, ouch, and hold little interest for anyone other than hardcore gore fans, ouch. Um, I happen to know a lot of intelligent people. I'm not one of them, but I know a lot of intelligent people that actually really like Fulci's films and they like dissecting them and looking at the different nuances and whatnot. So Fulci likes to do dark shit. Like that doesn't mean that they're not, you know, that they're dimwitted and uninteresting. Go fuck yourself. No wonder TV guide went out. No, it's also because people don't watch TV anymore, but Hey, Podcast Zero Rating. I wrote like a few things about this. I mean, like, I, I'm going to be honest. I first saw this movie in my late teens. I might have been about 17, 18 years old when I saw this for the first time. It was a VHS rental. I didn't see this on cable. And and let, let's face it. It was one of those VHS tapes that it was the intrigue that was created inside of me. When I saw that VHS box art, I see this worm-eyed zombie and I'm like, what the fuck is this? I have to see this movie. Like, I'm wondering, like, how messed up can this movie be? Like, what am I in for? Right. And you see that iconic zombie head and you're like, I got to see this shit. Obviously, after I rented it, well, I bought it. I've owned it on all three major formats with a, another VHS on the way to replace the one I lost. Um, I love this movie. This, it, I love it as much as I did the first time I saw it, if not more. I mean, yes, zombie movies these days, they come a dime a dozen. And there's, there's everyone and their zombified mother 
has made a zombie movie. I mean, everything from, and you have even TV series. You have Walking Dead, and you have Fear the Walking Dead. You have zombie movies like like everything from Shaun of the Dead to you know Return of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and basically anything of the dead. Um, zombie movies are just like, and I mean, obviously Romero. Romero is pretty much the top notch. I know I'm a Return of the Living Dead fan myself, but I mean, in terms of zombie flicks, Romero basically defined that genre, made it what it is. Um, but then you also have like the whole, you know, the the pandemic idea behind like 28 days later and 28 weeks later and stuff like that. Granted, those aren't zombies, but I mean, they're considered infected or you know whatever. Whatever, but I mean. Zombie flicks and the whole idea of the the living dead or the undead, whatever. Sure, there's a whole shitload of them. But this one, I like that it does it differently. I like that it goes back to the original roots of the voodoo aspect of the zombie culture. Um, there is mentions of that whole virus style of zombie as well. But this really does, it, it hits a note with the whole voodoo origin and that's something that I'm glad it, it goes back to because that had been missing, especially at this time era. The dubbing and the acting is what you expect of an Italian horror or giallo of the 70s and 80s. I could nitpick on it. I could sit there and point out and say oh, it's a detraction and this and that, but that's really unfair because it's how the movies were made back then. It's 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 yes, it's a bit of a detraction, but it's not. It doesn't stay a distraction. For the duration of the film. Once you really get into the meat of the film, like I say that so genuinely, um, but you kind of forget it's there. Like, I mean, you notice it, but it's again, it's not a distraction. Um, I mean, unless you're trying to be a real asshole or you're sitting around with friends having some drinks and you just want to pick on the film, eh, go nuts, but whatever. I love that there's no CGI, all practical, ton of makeup. And there's slugs, and there's bugs, and there's squishy noises. And they all lend their hand to make zombie a treat to devour optically. Um, oh, actually, there is one part I do have to point out. So in terms of the voice acting, some of the voices they got don't match up with the bodies or the people. Um, there's one scene in particular where they're they're doing like an autopsy on... The, the cop that got killed by the fat zombie and uh, there's a white guy and a black guy. And I'm not trying to make this like a whole racial thing or whatnot, but I mean, it's just, it's so bloody obvious that the black guy, when he talks is totally has a white man's voice. And again, like I said, like I'm not trying to make this like racial or like racially motivated or anything, but it's like, if you're going to get a voice actor, get someone with the voice that fits the actor. Like, cause you can, you can tell that that's not his voice. That would definitely not be the voice coming out of that man. And it's like, yeah, could have did a little bit better with that. But I mean, again, like I said, like it, it's not, it's not one of those things where like I I want to like make a you know a whole like controversy out of it. It's just it's noticeable and you laugh and it's one of those things like i said like sitting around with a bunch of friends having drinks and laughing that is definitely one of the things you would pick out of the film and be like oh shit let's have fun with this um in terms of this movie this movie is one of my favorites in the fulci library 
which Fulci's library is a resume of great horror films. You know, City of the Living Dead, House by the Cemetery, Beyond, Cat in a Brain. But Zombie is my highlight. Uh, the IMDb rating is at a 6.9 out of 10, with 7 being the most common rating. Uh, that's 25% of the votes, by the way. That's a full quarter of the vote is out of 7 on IMDb. For the Podcast Zero rating, this movie gets a very fucking hard, and I mean a hard 9 out of 10. Four and a half out of 5 fucking blood-curdled screams, if you're going based on letterboxed. Um, it's a 9 out of 10. This it not perfect but goddamn it's a movie of passion it is one that i absolutely love i enjoy watching the shit out of this fucking movie and i never get bored with it it is one that i i proudly will own on all formats i have t-shirts for this movie i have the soundtrack i there is so much about this movie i love and finally it was time for me to do my review nine out of ten and on that note Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week. I know it's been a bit. Um, you know, I had I had vacation time and I kind of winded down. And I said, you know, I, I was actually going to record that week. And I was like, you know what? No, I just need to completely detract from everything. I think I spent most of my vacation playing video games and watching movies and TV series and whatnot. I didn't do a whole lot else. Um, you would have thought I was in lockdown because I literally did not leave my house for like 10 days. It was nice. Um, and then obviously trying to deal with my eyesight, which now, like I say, I can read my notes. Yay. Um, it's, I got to admit too, like uh, I kind of make glasses look good. I got that perfect shaped head. That is one thing that like my mama did right when she had me. My head is at least a nice shape. I don't like much else about myself, but I do like the shape of my head. I know you tune into an episode and you're like, the guy's not going to talk about the shape of his head. Ah, ha, ha. Welcome to podcast zero where I talk about some of the most stupidest shit. You can find the podcast. I know. Let's just move on. You can find the podcast on Spotify. You can find it on Apple podcasts. You can find it on Google, uh, FM. What is it? FM, uh, why the fuck can I not remember what the name of the website is? I should edit that, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm lazy. I'm lazy when it comes to editing. I just like to get like sound quality good and like do like nice sound bites and shit like that, but I never take out my fuck-ups. Anyways, whatever. Um, it's on uh, Podcast Addict. You can find it there. You can find it like basically wherever you find podcasts. It's all over the place. Or just um, go to its home. Go to its home at thenextlevelnetwork.com. Nextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero is where you'll find this show. There's a ton of other shows on there as well. I I recently found out I'm sharing this. I know Ben will kick my ass for saying this, but fuck it. I don't care. He's recording an episode on my birthday. My birthday being October 1st um, with uh, Dana from... uh, Ash versus Evil Dead, and I'm like really geeked about that. I loved her in that that series. I'm I'm currently kind of like rewatching it, doing a few episodes a day kind of thing. And I saw he posted that. I was like, oh fuck yeah! So he's recording that on my birthday. The podcast itself won't get released for a couple days, but I don't care. I'm that's kind of cool. 
So yeah, so Ben's doing that. And I believe that's for his uh, showcase spotlight uh, podcast. So got to check that out, guys. Um, but yeah, if you want to find this podcast, the nextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero or at what lurks behind podcast Social media. Okay, so I'm going to kind of throw this out there, guys, because uh, facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero will be staying where it is. It is not going anywhere. However, I am really toying with the idea of canceling out the Instagram and the Twitter for this podcast. I know I earlier made mention about fuck all that cancel shit. And here I am canceling shit. No, I'm deleting them. I'm pretty sure for the simple fact that there is not much going on there. And Instagram, most people follow my personal account. So I can just honestly just use that. And Twitter is Twitter is toxic as fuck. And I honestly don't even use it. I was pretty I pretty much use it to contact, you know, or to to tweet out to the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy the Mail Girl. That's pretty much all I really use my Twitter for. Um, because I'll be honest, and I'm not saying Facebook isn't toxic because Facebook is too, but I, at least Facebook, I can, I know how to work around that one with Twitter. I'll go on Twitter hoping to see something about the last drive-in or shutter or a different movie coming out. And it's cluttered with Donald Trump shit that I don't care about. And it's like, I'm not following this shit, but it keeps showing up anyways. I can, I have figured out ways to avoid that on Facebook, on Twitter. I cannot. And so the Twitter account more than likely by time Halloween rolls around, will be gone. Instagram, most likely the same thing, but the Facebook page will be staying in effect. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just not a social media guy and I need to remove myself from some of this. On that note, let's do a lurker's recommendation, close out this episode. Um, I'm also going to announce the next episode because I've already picked that out. The lurker's recommendation is not Veronica. I'm going to say that right now. But October 2nd, day after my birthday, the new Amarantha album is being released. I'd recommend checking that out. I also recommend checking out, if you're into this uh, style of music, the new Public Enemy album, uh, What You're Gonna Do When The Grid Goes Down. That album just released. It is fucking amazing. It is old school rap done the way I love it. On top of the fact that there is a beautiful cameo, a surprise visit from the remaining members of the Beastie Boys on that album. And it's fucking awesome. I love it. I am so geeked and excited that they are a part of it. So, Amaranth, Public Enemy, those are my Lurker's recommendations. I know they're not really horror-related, but check them out anyways. The next episode, hee-hee. Next episode's going to be a fun one. It's a Fred Decker film. And those of you who know, Fred Decker has two really standout films. This is one of them. This is one that uh, I recently rewatched. This is one that I was like, holy shit, this movie could not be released in 2020. More on that 
next episode when I am talking about the Monster Squad from 1987. And you're thinking, that movie's not that bad. Oh, it couldn't be released in 2020. <laughs> it just couldn't. On that note, we're going to close out with some typo negative because I just feel like it. So we're going to end off with typo negative. This episode is over. Thank you for tuning in. It's nice that I can see again. Yay. I'm getting old. And whatever. Typo negative for you all. Until then, it's cut. You need to shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah.